I was uh, lucky enough to receive an invitation to the um, exclusive party last night. Oh, steady on there, champ. I was invited too. I just didn't make it. Down. Yeah. Don't, make, don't make it too exclusive. Did you forget to RSVP or did you just assume no, I did. I was there to and represent you? Well, no, I was actually Because the guy said, oh, no, did you, have you heard from Matt? And I said, oh, we, I, didn't, I, I made up a story that you were stuck on the boat. <laughs> Thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Radio Brews News. And in this very special expurgated Easter edition, we hunt down the stories of the week, we unwrap the news of the day, and we bring you a program that is chock full of news, views, and opinions. Don't be a bunny and miss all the good stuff as I welcome Matt Kierkegaard and James Atkinson. Matt, welcome. Prof, uh, how long did it take you to come up with that? About three seconds. I just, <laughs> it just all it just flows. Once I start, once you get one pun, it just it just flows on. Are, are you feeling okay? You've um you've just returned from um the Gilligan's Island tour of um of Bass Strait, Bass Strait. where uh, the the weather started getting rough and the tiny ship was tossed. <laughs> yeah, look, I've just come back from uh, one of the P and O food and wine cruises. Um, three days uh, out of Melbourne, and uh, first time I've been out of Melbourne. And I'll tell you what, Bass Strait does get a little bit rough. There's no surprise to anybody that's done the Spear of Tasmania, I guess. But uh, yeah. No, it was an interesting weekend, but uh, always good fun, you know, getting outside of that craft beer bubble and introducing beer drinkers to the delights of, uh, you know, some of the yak ales, which is pretty much what they stock on the piano cruises these days. And probably a bit disappointing, I, I would imagine, that um, if, the, if the ship's kind of lolling from side to side, it's um, people are less likely to come down to uh, enjoy some fine beer and they're more likely to be... Uh, Hunched over the bowl, having a Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, as as the weekend went on, yeah, it was a pretty rough uh, cruise. Um, and as the weekend, the uh, there were fewer and fewer people, uh, you know, in 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 the various bars and things like that. But uh, I guess if you go on a cruise, we don't live in a hermetically sealed bubble, and you you take what comes. Yeah, exactly. Um, taking the easy way out and flying uh, back from Wellington this week, James Atkinson. Welcome back, mate. Cheers, Prof. Good to be back. In news this week, uh, or sorry, I should say, on tap this week, uh, China has untapped potential for Aussie craft brewers. Lion taps into the reasons behind the fall of the king. The tap house turns 10. Industry experts suggest that we tap into our local markets. And a prof resists the temptation to throw in a gag where the punchline is, I'd tap that. Um, And also any giggly references to ball tampering. Uh, But before we jump into the news, uh, James, we might get you to do a quick wrap um, and around the grounds kind of um, wrap up of the uh, the IBD conference. How was the land of the long white cloud or the, um, well, so you can't really call it the um, the eighth state, can we? Because then the Kiwis get upset. But then if you were over there, matters. I'd say, yeah. And so, but James, of course, you know, because we, we are from um, New Zealand's West Island. Um, how was it? Mate, it was an absolutely awesome week. Um, fairly strong Australian contingent of brewers and suppliers were out there. And, you know, Wellington's just such a fantastic city. I hadn't been there for about three or four years when I went over for Beervana. Um, and, you know, I, I remember really enjoying it and thinking it really punched above its weight for, for, you know, beer and bars and food and all that sort of stuff when I was last there. Um, but, you know, I just was wondering whether maybe, you know, I would enjoy it as much this time. And, and in, the, in those years since I'd last been there, the number of new places that have opened up in the city, you know, within walking distance of each other is really quite incredible. I mean, it really does feel a little bit like Portland, um, in the US, just in the sense that you, you could walk out of one brew, brew pub and, 
and just walk in a straight line and walk into another one. Um, you yeah. know, even in the last six months, there's within within about a couple of blocks of each other, you've got a couple of brand new places. Fortune Favors is one brew pub. Whistling Sisters is another one. Um, a bit further down the road is is Husk, which is the the brew pub for Choice Bros, which has been around a little bit longer. And then Garage Project are right in the city now with their um, Wild Workshop, um, which is really it's their head office, and then they've got a barrel room upstairs and. I think their ultimate plan is that they will move their head office somewhere else and turn that into another venue. So just really, it was really exciting. On the Tuesday night, um, all the delegates uh, were put in groups that were did walking tours, and each walking tour would include, you know, no less than eight venues that were all um, within a short walk from each other. So it was, it was just awesome. And, the, you know, the conference itself, um, look, a lot of the content does go over my head um, as really a layperson compared to the, the technical heads in the room, but I still got a lot out of some of the sessions that I went to. And I, you know, everyone you spoke to would would give some sort of feedback about, oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to try this when I get home, or I'm going to do something differently, or this session was awesome, or um, or whatever. So yeah, really good feedback from from uh, the delegates. And I actually asked David Cryer, who's a long-time member of the IBD, how he thought the week had gone. Well, thanks for being such a great supporter of the podcast. Um, it's probably been a pretty important week for you uh, being an IBD conference, which doesn't happen every year, and it doesn't happen every year in New Zealand, that's for sure. How's it gone? We're on Thursday night. Um, have, have you had a good week? I personally have had a great week. Uh, the conference has gone really well. I think having the dual stream means the education portion of the conference has been really strong. And a lot of the comments I got from craft brewers were that it's very accessible material they can use practically in the brewery. So that's it's really good because one of the struggles we have is not to take the syllabus down a level to make it more accessible, but just to make it a good level but just more understandable, more practical. And I think the organisers of the syllabus have succeeded. How have the conferences changed in the years since you've been involved? Well, obviously the, uh, the rise of craft is, is the huge difference. That The numbers of um, attendees per brewery of the larger breweries have declined. Um, that's, just, that's natural. Uh, and the, the craft guys are joining more and more. Um, we're always really keen to have more craft people coming along because education is the key to the future of the industry. The, the thing that hinders, will hinder the growth of craft is the lack of trained brewers for startups. And so when people want to invest in the industry, they need to know where can I find a person who's properly qualified and trained. And, and I, I believe personally it's the IBD and they and then working in conjunction with the Brewers Guild here in New Zealand and IBA in Australia is absolutely critical to the success of our industry and the continued growth. And so what are the main benefits for, for people to come along to an event like this quite apart from the content of the, the seminars? Yeah, it's a brilliant content. Well, yeah, take that as read. Uh, for me, and this is what I got from my first one in Tasmania, it's not what you get at the event. It's, it's, it's down the track. It's a year later when... For me as a supplier, you want to know who to talk to and you go, oh, that's right, I met that guy in Tasmania, I'll just give him a call. And when he calls, or when, sorry, when I call, they know you're an IBD member. They, it says you're a little bit serious about the industry and they'll take your call and they'll talk to you. And for brewers, for craft brewers, 
if you've been to an IBD conference and you ring with a problem, you'll, you'll get a really good response from the larger brewers. They, they are just brewers like all the other brewers, small or large. And I think IBD membership, it just says you're part of this industry and you really want to learn and you want to go ahead and you want to prosper. So if, you've, if you find yourself in a sticky situation, you might have some friends that can help uh, give you some advice. Without a doubt, that's exactly what happens. I know, I know what these bigger brewers are like. They love helping the smaller guys. Okay, they're all a bit time poor, but they do. They will take calls. I've, I've had that experience as a supplier. When you talk to them, I know, because they know I'm an IBD person, that they should make a bit of time for me. We had uh, Ian Roberts speaking to us as the, at the speaker and sponsor function. That's one thing he touched on. He said, you know, if I know you're part of the IBD, I will treat you a little bit differently, a little bit more specially perhaps. And they, they mean it. I think that's a great thing. And that's, that's why I've stayed invested now for so many years. First time for me in Wellington in about three years. And what's been absolutely mind-blowing is how many new breweries there are and how much has changed in that short period of time. Um, what, what's your take on that? Like, are you, Do you think that the beer industry um, in the city is in a good place? Oh, it's in a stunning health here in Wellington. It's just when you walk down Gasney Street and you've got Husk, uh, Rogan Vagabond, you've got Garage Project with their Barrel Room, Fortune Favours, Whistling Sisters, Golding, Goldings, Free Dive. It's just incredible. Then you rock into Courtney Place and there's the old stellar old uh, multi still going, Fork and Brewer. You know, I could go on and on and on. Um, it's just fantastic. I can remember when we were uh, starting at the Brewers Guild all those years ago, making speeches at, uh, in the Wellington Council Chambers and uh, talking about Wellington being the craft beer capital, but at that stage there were no breweries in Wellington and that wasn't that long ago. Now look at it, it's incredible. It, you know, we, we modelled what we did at Beervana or on um, Wellington being a, a mini Portland and I, and I think it's sort of getting there. I think it's, it's, it was a dream and it's, it's happened and it's fantastic to see and they're all doing really well in the Wellington people just like they embrace coffee, have embraced craft beer and they're making it a very Wellington special thing and that's what people are loving here. I was talking to one of the major brewer guys last night and just he couldn't believe walking around the Wellington just the staggering variety of beer he was able to try in the various bars when we did our trade visit. It's amazing. So that was David Cryer and the other big announcement during the week was was the rebranding um, on the Thursday night at um, Te Papa Museum which was the gala dinner. Uh, big announcement from the IBD that they had, um, you know, really, really had a look at themselves and how they were perceived by um, craft brewers and craft distillers. They would have liked a better turnout from from some of those um, players in the market. And I think that's what their new uh, campaign and new branding um, and, you know, e-learning modules are all about. So I caught up with uh, CEO Jerry Avis um, just to ask him about the, the rebranding. What have been the main items on your agenda in the time that you've been in the role? I've got a big agenda. Um, some would say that I'm trying to boil the ocean, but I think we've got a lot of catching up to do. Things have been moving really fast, um, both in brewing, distilling, uh, cider making, which we're covering now, uh, but also in education and education technology. So I've got a Six, what I call six pillars of excellence, and we're working our way through those. So some of those are around providing uh, really great world-class educational products, particularly on the online learning. So we've already got uh, our two lowest levels of qualifications, the fundamentals, we've got those online. And at the Craft Brewing Convention in Nashville, 
uh, in uh, end of April, beginning of May time, we'll be launching our General Certificate of Brewing. And that's the fastest growing brewing qualification in the States, which is a, a big market for us. And one untouched, actually, at the moment. So what, what are we um, going to be seeing tonight there's there's some kind of rebranding or some kind of launch happening which i'm i'm even as a media person i'm in the dark so okay yeah <laughs> so uh well we we try not to keep people in the dark but i think this 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 one this one's been a real opportunity to uh have a look at how the ibd are perceived um we've used a uh a really interesting methodology through a design agency to to, to have a look at that and and I think it's fair to say that the IBD, we've got a long history, we go back to 1886, and I think we're perceived as very UK-centric, we're perceived still very male, Uh, some would say uh, stale and pale as well, both in terms of our demographics and our age profile. And that's a perception that people have, it's not actually true, I mean we are actually very, very progressive, but we need to alter people's perception. So this rebranding is to make sure that we start to really appeal to the craft sector more and distillers, because I think we, we've used the word brewing as a proxy for the word distilling. So we really need to get on top of that. And what I didn't want to do was to, to launch a new identity without having, having products that we could really stand behind. So these e-learning products are a whole new approach to our diploma, which is, which is really the equivalent to a degree in brewing. Um, we've got these products in, in place, uh, we're growing our network, uh, we're serving our members better, and this brand really signals a further change in, in uh, hopefully, in how we're going to be perceived in the future. And so it's, it is also a rebranding in terms of, you know, aesthetically as well? Uh, it, it, absolutely, absolutely. So um, a change in the, in the logo design. Uh, and when people talk about branding, sometimes they just... They say branding is all about the logo. Well, branding isn't all about the logo, as you know. It's it's about it, uh, it's about the depth of the institute. It's about it's about how we serve our members, how we serve our exam candidates, how we educate people. Um, and I know from my experience in Europe, there's a uh, the craft sector is growing really fast, but there's a lot of poor beer out there because people have passion, but they don't have understanding. And to be successful and sustainable, you really have to brew good beer consistently well and uh, unfortunately that's not always the case so what we are looking to do is to underpin people's passion with that understanding of the technology the science so that people can brew great beer all the time although I have to say coming down here uh, in Wellington and going out in the trade I've not yet had a bad beer so I think you're uh, you guys are doing well well, I can't claim uh, responsibility for that because I'm from Sydney, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a Kiwi. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> but we're all the same, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're from England, no, we're all friends, so it's all good. What has been your perception of Wellington uh, otherwise? Have you been here before? I came here when I was, uh, when I was a student and I, I hitched around uh, the North and South Island. And my memories are that the Kiwis are probably the most hospitable people on, on the earth. Uh, I don't think uh, I ever went, went without an offer of a, of a free bed for the night. And um, my impression coming back here some oh, 30 years later uh, you know, is unchanged. Maybe, maybe a little bit busier. I think a few more people here. But um, yeah, it's a great place to be. Do you think that from what you've seen so far, the beers have um, a personality about them for, for the region? I, I, 
I think um, I don't think I've detected any particular Wellington or New Zealand styles particularly. I, th I think I think that what's happened over the last twenty or thirty years um, that the the US have really been leading uh, in terms of beer styles and flavours to actually appeal to the to the younger demographic, and people seem to have followed on from that. So. I, Personally, I mean, maybe I just haven't drunk enough beer here yet uh, in the in the three or four days. Um, but what I would comment again on, it's all been excellent quality. What are the main benefits for people to join the IBD other than they want to get qualifications? And as we saw in uh, Catherine's presentation earlier this week, it's, it's quite common that people join it, um, you know, just so that they can do an examination and they don't necessarily renew their membership so what what this is your opportunity for a, a bit of a sales pitch to the radio bruise news listeners what why should they join okay well if uh, if the bruise news listeners were here they would see above all uh, fellowship and experience being passed from uh, member to member they'd see uh, a great camaraderie and, and and i know brewers and distillers have a camaraderie but i think you have you have here you have the 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 opportunity to talk with people that really have experience and if you go along to any section meeting you'll be welcomed in and you'll get the best hospitality and I think access to the best knowledge. Now of course Monday uh, was the craft day so the, the topic areas were um, specific to craft brewers and, and you know the objective of that was that if craft brewers didn't have you know didn't really want to be there for the whole week couldn't afford to get away from their businesses um, they could just turn up on the Monday and there were a whole heap of sessions that were really, um, you know, just around some of the, the hottest um, things in craft beer at the moment. So, for example, uh, there was a session on, on um, wood and beer. Uh, there was a session on um, dry hopping, which was with Warren Pawsey. Um, and a few others that, that just sort of, when you look down the list, you kind of thought, yep, that's, they're the biggest trends. Kettle souring was another one. They're the biggest trends that we're seeing in beer at the moment. Um, so Warren Pawsey gave a really great session just about the many different uh, ways that you can dry hop and some of the safety considerations and some of the mistakes that brewers make um, when they're dry hopping. So I asked Warren for um, a quick wrap-up of the presentation that he gave in Wellington. You've just run through some of the different techniques that there are. Maybe you'd just like to recap on that for, for people who weren't lucky enough to be at the IBD conference. Mm, sure, on the craft day of the IBD conference. Um, so I, in, my paper, in my presentation I talked about, um, that started with the simple techniques, which is, you know, dry hopping is quite a simple, straightforward process as long as it's safe. Um, you can throw the hops into the tank and then bring the beer on. Um, or all the way through, there's various ways of doing that. Um, or you can go all the way through to some very complex and expensive machinery, which is a little bit more automated, and there's a couple of things you need to watch out for. What, what are those, uh, you know, are we talking about hop guns and that type of thing? Yep, yep. There's, a, there's lots of equipment available now which will help you introduce hops uh, into beer. They're expensive, but you still need to operate them properly. So you, you or with beer, you always want to be careful that you're minimising the oxygen because oxygen's always going to destroy your beer. Um, there's also a watch out with dry hopping in the amount of polyphenol you're extracting. Uh, when you, if you have excessive, if the beer and the, if the beer's in contact with the hops for excessive amount of time, you will extract polyphenol. 
What's the margin for error? Like how, how you know, with contact time, how how uh, specific does it have to be? Uh, there's a lot of variables. Uh, contact time, the alpha acid, the variety of hops you're using, the temperature you're dry hopping at, whether you're doing static hopping, uh, dry hopping, which is just throwing it in the tank, or dynamic, where you're actually mixing it. You can, you can. There's a lot of parameters you can adjust. So it, there's no one set thing, James. But you're not going to tell us your secrets on contact times, temperatures, and that sort of stuff for the little creatures, piece? Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, I've seen a, quite a few dry hopping uh, presentations this week, so I'll be making some changes when we get back to Geelong. Um, we're a standard cold, <clears throat> four, degree, four, four degrees cold and four days. <clears throat> um, we are looking at lupulin powder. We've been using a bit of lupulin, otherwise it's straight type 90s. Which beers are you using the lupin powder in? Uh, we've done some trial work in Dog Days. It's probably our most um, dry hopped brand by volume. With the lupin powder, can you swing things back too far in the other direction and get a beer that's maybe just too oily and, and that doesn't is lacking in that polyphenol character? Yes. It, um, a lot of people like dry hop beer for the polyphenol, but it's about balance. You have to get a drinkable beer, so a little bit of polyphenol is a nice, nice... Uh, complement to the to the raw hop bitterness you're getting from the oxidized alpha acids which is that raw hop flavor but without the polyphenol and in traditionally dry hopped beers you're getting a mix of both so when you take one out it's definitely a dry hopped beer it just doesn't have that quite harsh drying finish of a of a hop a classically dry hopped beer so it's different it's dry hopped but it's different and there are economic considerations to that as that too aren't there yes very high losses um if you put start putting serious amounts of hops into your beer after the brew house, you are going to have huge losses. So if you might run at 10% loss, you might see 25. I heard 30% loss yesterday, which is phenomenal. So you make three brews and you throw one away. It's just incredible. I remember you asked the audience in your prezzo um, about you know what sort of benchmarks they were dry hopping to. Maybe you could oh, talk to those what's sure. common in you know, the, 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 the rate of hopping. So the literature, when you have a look in a publication, it'll tell you 2 grams per litre up to 10 or 12. I asked, the, I asked the crowd to keep their hand up if they were, and we got up to 8, and then someone yelled out 10, and now I've seen a paper just now that talked about 20 grams per litre. 2, two kilo, 20, oh, it's just amazing. I've, y- y- it would be green. <laughs> it would just be green. The level, it's surprising to me because I've obviously drunk these beers dry hopped at much. Um, the, other, the other thing I learnt today was uh, multiple small dry hoppings will give you more aroma than one big dry hopping. So if you're going to put 8 grams per litre in, maybe you do 4 at 2 grams rather than one great big one at 8, you will get a better aroma and maybe less polyphenol because you're shortening the contact time. There are some safety considerations with dry hopping, aren't there? Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. If you are going to throw hops, simple method, throw the hops in, and you're going to climb on top of the tank, you need to do it safely, Um, especially if you're dry hopping a fermenter warm because you need to plan your escape route because you will have a beer geyser coming out of the top of the tank. Um, My preference would be that if you get on top of a tank that there's a proper safety rail around it and there's a proper ladder up to it, if not, buy a platform ladder. They cost 600 800 bucks. Um, don't climb up a ladder, stand on the top step and use two hands to pour hops in. You, you're unbalanced. Your head's probably four metres off the ground. If you fall off, it won't be good.
Well, that was Warren Pawsey. The other news of the week was um, there were two brewers in Asia Pacific that were awarded Master Brewer qualification at the gala dinner. Uh, now, one of those, Dr. Gary Menz from uh, the Yattler Brewery um, in Queensland at CB, he was um, the ducks of the, you know, globally, the ducks of Master Brewer for the year. So I think there were 11 people that sat the exam and Gary um, achieved the highest marks both in the Asia Pacific and globally. So obviously a much smarter guy than we are. And um, I caught up with Gary. I caught up with Gary very quickly to ask him what was involved in, um, in achieving that result. You were one of two people in the Asia, Asia Pacific section to be awarded the qualification of Master Brewer. And you also picked up two other um, awards. What can you tell us about those? Yes, that's right, I did. Um, I was uh, awarded the IBD Asia Pacific Section uh, Education Award for the uh, highest marks in the Asia Pacific region. And I was also uh, lucky enough to be the recipient of the James S. Hoff Award, which is for the highest marks in the world for the IBD Master Brewer exams. So when did you actually begin your journey with IBD qualifications? Early part of this decade, <laughs> I completed uh, my uh, IBD diploma, diploma of brewing, um, across three years. Um, I then, uh, across three years, depleted, completed my IBD master brewer. Um, mate, what, what's, what's involved in, in going the whole hog um, and becoming a master brewer? Like, how much work is involved in that? Um, a, a hell of a lot of work <laughs> involves uh, being uh, very annoying to uh, everyone else in the brewing in- industry, asking a, a hell of a lot of questions, um, doing a lot of lot of study, uh, reading everything I can, trying to keep up with the latest uh, trends and also the, the latest science. Um, so the IBD Master Brewers uh, examined across five, five modules or five areas, um, covering the, the, the breadth of brewing from raw materials um, through brew house, uh, through fermentation, filtration, packaging, and um, management of the, the brewing uh, process and industry as well. Uh, it culminates in the uh, production of a um, dissertation um, of a practical project, which I completed at my brewery at uh, Yatla. How many master brewers would CUB have? Um, employed already, like a, a officially IBD qualified? Well, good question. Uh, risking it wrong, um, I think we would have four to five master brewers in within the group. Wow, so must be a bright future ahead of you in, in that company? I uh, certainly hope so. The, <laughs> um, the, the, the master brewer certainly has uh, taught, me, taught me a lot um, and it, it's, it's a very uh, kind of independent self-study um, program, so it's uh, hopefully set me up for a, uh, a life of learning. Well, mate, congratulations. Um, yeah, look, it, it's a pretty massive milestone tonight, and especially to, to pick up that award in front of all your peers, so congratulations. Cheers. Thanks, James. That was Dr. Gary Menz. It's probably an opportune time to, to point out to, to listeners that the term master brewer actually has a, you know, a, a meaning. It's not just, you, you're not just the head brewer in your uh, brewery and you get to call yourself master brewer and I think even brewmaster well technically correct you know I, th- these guys have worked very very hard and studied and sat a lot of uh, very difficult exams to to achieve that title and it's it's, it's one that uh, should be uh, treated with respect. Can anyone call themselves a master brewer and not expect you know a um, 
a lawsuit from IBD? Is there anything stopping you from doing that? Um, well, I, I think a lot of people do, and I think it's just the soft hands that uh, the IBD employ that that, you know, that, that they don't get in, uh, you know, sort of get out the lawyers or anything like that. I, but I, I know that it is a bone of contention for guys that have reached that status, that they are, um, uh, you know, a little bit funny when people that, you know, maybe have just graduated from homebrew and calling themselves master brewer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you would think, you would think there'd be some sort of um, trademark protection that they could sort of overlay. Um, well, they should speak to Cicero because <laughs> they're very aggressive about protecting their trademark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hope you uh, gave rabbit ears and uh, are in a circle when you said Cicerone then, James. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beautifully done, James, too. Uh, nicely wrapped up and um, uh, hopefully it uh, bodes well for the future that we can keep uh, do our bit to, to help grow the IBD. Um, uh, next conference. Now, is there, I think Perth is was announced as the next one. So we're back in Australia for the next one, for the Asia-Pacific yeah. region. Yeah, that's that's um, another another uh, exciting development is it will be in Australia again, uh, Perth 2020. Um, and Sean Simmons of White Lakes Brewing and formerly of Swan, he'll be the chairperson of, of the conference um, organising committee or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, really exciting to see what they're, what they're going to serve up in a couple of years' time. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Really interesting um, article speaking with Matt Tapper this week. It was actually a preso that he did it um, in Wellington. I think it's it's customary at the IBD conference that a senior executive from the biggest uh, brewer in that market um, presents and so two years ago in Sydney was James Brindley and this year Matt Tapper um, stepped up and and spoke um, just about some of his experiences in working at Lion over the last, I think it's about 20 years that he's been there. Um, and yeah, look, the most interesting thing from my point of view was just um, some fairly frank discussion of what went down when Tap King was axed. Um, you know, when when the announcement was made that it was going to be discontinued, there wasn't really any insight from their point of view into what had actually gone wrong, and we all had our own theories. Um, so it was just interesting hearing Matt's point of view that they just didn't quite get, didn't quite nail it um, in terms of giving people that awesome, you know, draft beer experience at home that they were expecting, and it was a bit too expensive for people as well. Um, and we, we at Bruce News have been pretty aware of that because even though it was um, given the axe about two years ago, we still get comments and emails on the site from people saying, oh, I've just gone back to re- restock my Tap King um, for the first time in two years. <laughs> I've discovered that it's been deleted. And, and, you know, it just sort of made me realise that if, if it's that much of a special occasion thing for people that they're, they're, only, they're only getting a refill once every two or three years, then, um, then probably they, they had problems. There's there's possibly a problem with your business model there if you yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um, guys do you think um and 
Matt, I know you you trialled it at home. Is the key problem, because I've seen some of the comments through our Facebook page, uh, sort of, you know, it was too narrow a band of of beers that were available if, if perhaps um, they had licensed the, the, the Tap King technology, but then said, you know, uh, anyone can produce their beers. Um, for, so perhaps you could get Hop Hog or perhaps you could get Pacific Ale or, or that sort of thing. Was was, was that well, the main I, problem? I've seen a couple of people wait in uh, about that. And, you know, like it... I can understand that point of view. You used to think, well, if more people can license the technology, but Lion doesn't make, you know, Lion isn't in the business of making Tap King. Um, they're in the business of selling beer. Um, they made the Tap King to sell their beer. There was absolutely no way they were ever going to license it to other brewers because, you know, it's just like the razor blade companies make razor blades and you buy the handle. It's exactly the same uh, yeah. issue. Um, I don't think, um, you know, and... They started with a limited range, but that would always have been able to expand once there was demand for it. You know, um, it, it, there was a bit of an investment involved in, I think, to get the Bogues. They had to tanker it up from Tasmania to get it into the Tap Kings uh, in Sydney. Um, so, you know, that, that would have expanded. I think the fundamental flaw was, as uh, Matt said, that, uh, you know, I, I remember one night uh, when you were staying at my place, uh, we went out and got a Tap King, left it in the fridge, all day and you know still you know pouring ice cream um that night and it, it was a little bit hit and miss and the experience wasn't w- what they promised and i think what consumers want and when there's that much wastage uh for, for that sort of beer people just aren't going to 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 wear it so I, I actually read that article and thought well you know it's one of those times when i think um you know when you hear a guy saying look i haven't been able to talk about this for a few years and you know, I, I thought it was a fairly frank um, disclosure of, of what happened, and I agree. The consumer insights that drove it um, were, were pretty accurate, but they just didn't nail the execution. Well, who yeah. would say no when, if, if you were asked, you know, would you like to be able to enjoy great draft beer at home? I mean, everyone's going to say yes to that, but the reality of it is that it has to be just as simple and convenient as going to the fridge and getting a can or a bottle. Um, if it's if it's got too much hassle involved, and and you know the results not going to be the same every time, then then there's really nothing like just cracking open a can or a bottle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of cracking open some bottles last night, the the champagne corks were popping, or perhaps the um, the the saison uh, magnums were popping last night at uh, the tap house as they celebrated um, their tenth birthday, and uh, I was uh, lucky enough to receive an invitation to the. Um, Exclusive party last night. Oh, steady on there, champ. I was invited too. I just didn't make it. Down. Yeah. Don't, make, don't make it too exclusive. Did you forget to RSVP or did you just no, I did. I was there to represent you? Well, no, I was actually Because the guy hoping... said, oh, no, did you, have you heard from Matt? And I said, oh, we, I, didn't, I, I made up a story that you were stuck on the boat. So, you know. <laughs> no, no, that's I, I, I RSVP and I tried to extend up. my stay in uh, Melbourne for two days, but then I was offered a corporate gig in Brisbane last night. And, you know, at, at, at the rates that we get paid, you can never say uh, as much as I wanted. <laughs> that was one event that I absolutely definitely wanted to travel for because it was a momentous event on the uh, Australian beer calendar but unfortunately you can't say no to um, you know (laughs) earning a dollar and look it was a terrific event and um, I think what it really brought into sharp focus is the um, the fact that um, the tap house 10 years ago there wasn't as much competition it was much harder to get uh, to get beers they were kind of um, you know sending couriers out to, to pick beers up um, um, famously you know, Jeff White who was up at Jamison at the time would sort of you know manage to get a, a keg down there and said okay you know we've, we've emptied the beast now um, it's it, as well maybe it's just, I don't know how to get it back 
you know, um, back in those days, it was, you know, logistics were completely different. Um, it was a bit of a hard slog. But the thing is that you look 10 years down the track and, and it's now brewers are, are kind of competing to to have their beer on, on tap at the tap house. But the thing that really hasn't changed is that it hasn't changed. Um, they've managed to go 10 years, keep um, stay, staying relevant uh, in a in a really dynamically changing market um but they've managed to sort of yeah keep things exactly the same and and um the key i think really that the guys were talking about last night is that um it was just that service thing that they had to be regardless of you know the um their thing is specialty beer but the way they deliver it is is by you know putting the customer first you know, it, it, it's one of those things that I think uh, that they were ahead of the game. A lot of venues have opened since, and uh, you know, we, we've seen craft beer sort of go big, go large um, since then. But those guys have always had an eye on the details, um, and you see a lot of venues that sort of think, hey, there's something in this craft beer. I love craft beer. I'll open a venue. Yeah, put heaps of beer on tap, and it'll just sell itself. And it'll but just you, sell yeah. itself, yeah. And, I mean, those guys really, if you sit there and – watch the attention to detail that they bring. Um, yes, they do have great beer, but they know that first and foremost, they are a hospitality venue and craft beer is you know, one of their um, arms of the hospitality. And you, know, you go and see what they've done at Stomping Ground um, and they've you know, even taken it up a notch. And I've had uh, you know, very knowledgeable people um, in the hospitality industry describe that as the best bar experience. And I've always thought somewhere like Little Creatures um, is the best brew bar. Um, just because of the complete package and you know you've got people who rate that still say that stomping ground is there so you know I think those guys have had one of the most profound um, experiences one of the most profound influences on the Australian craft beer um, landscape um, of uh, you know sort of any you know venue in in the country. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, and nice segue uh, talking there about um, stomping ground and and being very much part of its local community and and looking after its local area and then growing organically. Um, James, the guys from New Glarus Brewing um, spoke at the IBD and reiterate. Oh, and I can't reiterate what somebody else has said. Um, they, I guess, echoed the sentiments that that we have made over recent podcasts, where perhaps breweries need to look at their local market, um, so tap into that that local market. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, they're just a very interesting business in the sense that, you know, now uh, everyone in the US is talking about how important local has become. And that's why we're seeing, you know, companies like Sierra Nevada experiencing significant declines just because of all the, the little breweries that have popped up that people are supporting in their local area. Um, now, New Glarus never went outside their home state. They are, I believe, the 16th largest brewery in the US. They've got annual volume of 30 million litres and it's all sold. Um, in Wisconsin, and they basically just focused from the start on developing really long-term relationships, you know, with with the bars that that serve their beer. 45% of it's on draft, um, so they were, you know, they've been very much um, insulated against what's happening in the US at the moment, as as opposed to some of those bigger breweries. Yep, um, Matt, are you finding that in Brisbane that um, the new brewers coming in are, are looking at that local market? And I, I think, I guess, you know, the Gold Coast is a as an example, um, we don't get a lot of, uh, for example, uh, Burley Brewing beers down here. You've got to kind of really sort of look for it. And they're the ones, I guess, that I've, I've always seen as the, the benchmark for, you know, have your, your little local area and really focus on on servicing that well. Yeah, and Burley um, started, I mean, Burley's just celebrated 10 years as well. Um, and they started saying that we're only going to sell our beer four hours north, four hours south 
and you know, ship it refrigerated, all of the things that we're now starting to see people talking about. Um, as benchmarks, yeah. As, as benchmarks. Or as the, minimum standard. Yeah. As minimum standards. And you know, I, I guess that if you're too far ahead of the market, these standards that you set yourselves aren't possible, and so they did tend to, to broaden the um, distribution. They, you know, they're, they're in Dan Murphy's and uh, some of those things. But a lot of the the local breweries are concentrated on their local market, and there is a real uptake amongst the bars. You know, there's a very strong um, support local message that a lot of bars are taking on. So I, I think it's a little bit hard for some of the interstate breweries to to find some of those shifting taps in in Brisbane at the moment. The flip side. I, I guess is that there's always uh, another side to the story, and in supporting local, and you know, th- these guys are just starting. We'll we'll put them on. You know, th- there's some beer getting out there that's probably not up to snuff, and you know, sometimes supporting local guys because they're great guys, or you know, you'll you'll love the the what they talk about and that sort of thing. You know, that the story that they're they're, they're talking um, can you know lead you to support beer just because you, you want to support them. And, mate, I, you know, I, I think this market is still to sort itself out. Um, and as it grows and as it becomes more crowded, um, we're going to find a whole lot of uh, people, you know, doing a little bit tough, whether they're supporting their, their local, um, you know, whether they're just trying to stay in their local market because it, it's a really tough market out there. Sorry, there was a whole lot of yeah. There was a whole lot of um, thoughts uh, crashing in, uh, in in one there. But uh, yeah, to answer your pre- uh, question, Prof, yeah, there's a lot of uh, local support going on. Drink fresh, drink local. Which brings us to uh, the, the beer as a conversation this week. I'm mindful that we want to keep this a nice tight podcast. If you haven't have a listen to the chat that I did with Ian Watson uh, about the drink fresh, drink local, um, or just drink fresh, um, and the date coding, which follows on a little bit from Greg Cook. Um, Really, I found a really powerful chat with Ian. You know, he's one of the guys that doesn't mince his words, and he, you know, walks the talk. Um, you know, they put a canned on date and a four month best before date. And when I sat down to did a tasting with him, there was a marked difference between a beer that was, um, you know, just fresh and four months old. So really interesting chat, um, and I think it raises a whole lot of questions for craft brewers at the moment, um, who on one hand want to say. You know, craft beer is better and the beer drinker gets better beer um, and it's more flavoursome and yet they're knowingly um, sending it into a retail chain that consumers can only get a bad experience um, because it's sitting on the shelf warm for far too long um, and some of these same guys that are willing to make that compromise in the interests of growing distribution and growing business are the same guys who will shit can a brewery if they decide to pasteurise, for example. Um, and you know, as, as if they're compromised to to sell substandard beer, or beer that the consumer experience will be substandard is in some way better than maybe a brewery that wants to pasteurise, or you know, some of the other decisions that brewers make to make sure that the consumer's experience at the end is is a good one. So yeah, no, really interesting chat, and uh, it, it, it's it, I'm on a bit of a tear with that uh, issue at the moment. So uh, th- there'll be a little bit more discussion around that, and of course, we're doing the discussion in Good Beer Week um, all about. Uh, the, the the beer logistics system and that clicking sound you heard was a thousand of our listeners switching off when Matt mentioned the name Greg Cook. Um, <laughs> now, it, don't don't mention the war. Now, um, James, he says, changing the subject very quickly. Uh, one of our sponsors, Brewpack, has rebranded. Tell us about Tribe Breweries. Brewpack, uh, obviously, a sponsor of Radio Brews News and Australian Brews News. So I thought I'd take this out of the news side of thing just to let people know that this is actual uh, newsworthy story. 
Yeah, Brewpack um, has had a plan for quite some time now to build a big brewery in Goulburn, uh, a second big brewery. And last year they went out to the market um, and actually got reported in the financial review that they were seeking investment to fund um, this expansion. And it's apparently a really significant uh, development, 115 hectolitre brew house, um, $35 million project. And so that happened, I think, in November last year. And they've taken on investment from a Melbourne-based private equity uh, firm called Advent Partners. Uh, I'm not sure what sort of stake in the business that they've taken, but Advent and some other investors have come on board. And that's going to ensure that that project gets completed this year. I think that they're actually hoping that they're going to be brewing um, at Goulburn by around uh, maybe September, something like that at the latest. Yeah, I mean, going to be interesting to see what you know what happens with that business. I think that they've decided that the tribe is it better reflects their the fact that they've got their own brand in Stockade and also they, they're um, collaborating with what they call their partners or clients um, on contract brewing for, for those uh, customers. And Brewpack didn't seem to capture that was their argument. Yeah, and we were lucky enough um, in our um, Brews News Christmas tour to pop into the, at the time, unopened, taproom space, cellar door uh, area in, uh, was it actually in Marrickville? I know it was in a, yeah, it was just it, a long... It's in, it's in Marrickville. I mean, you could throw a stone at, um, at Batch Brewing from there. Um, and it's that's actually the, yeah, the Stockade Barrel Room. It's going to have 300 barrels of beer in place when it opens to the public in a couple of months' time. So just another, you know, exciting venue for Marrickville. They have done really well when you consider that um, – was it Australian Independent Brewers was the, the – like the original company that sort of went under um, that Anton and his family um, sort of came in and, and, and took over and which became Brewpack? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and just amazing what they've done with it, and I, and I say that as a as a beer lover, um, and I look at the the brands that they have been able to help their their owners to create and, and get out to market that perhaps would uh, would otherwise not have been there, um, and, and so as, as I say, I say that as a as a beer lover, divorced from the fact that yes, that we do declare they are um, very long term and loyal sponsors of uh, of what we do here. Mind you, they've never asked us for. <laughs> they've as as you said at the start, this is in because it's news value. It's a, it's a big uh, uh, announcement, and uh, I don't think I've ever heard of uh, heard from Anton. We spoke to him about three years ago on the podcast because uh, it was quite interesting to get his insights. But yeah, no, they've, they've never asked us. Uh, apart from he just likes listening to the show and wants to support it. Yeah, exactly. We might wrap up uh, before we head into the mailbag. We'll give a quick Goose Island uh, Bourbon County Stout update. The um, so we're we're extend well not extending we're we're just allowing um, uh, enough time for our listeners to catch up with the podcast and be aware that uh, we do have a bottle that was purchased um, at the charity auction event for uh, Pink Boot Society. So Matt, what are we doing there? We're going to give everyone till yeah. I mean, the, the podcast goes up Sunday night. It, you know, people listen to it. You know, it's not live radio, so people are listening to it over the course of a week. Um, so it seems unfair to sort of, uh, you know, when we're recording, 
you know, only three or four days later from when the podcast is announced to announce the winner before people have had the chance. So um, if if you're listening to last week or if you're indeed listening to this week, um, it's still not too late to give us your thoughts on some of the issues that we raised in the last week uh, podcast. Um, and you can still win that uh, Bourbon County Stout gift pack. That's it. And it's got the really nice sort of uh, nice cloth cap, uh, trucker's cap and the um, branded wooden bottle opener as well as the beer. So it's, it's the full package. It is. And everyone who uh, you know, emails, even if you don't win the uh, package, uh, you're going to get a bar blade, a Brews News bar blade, some merch. That's it. Some merch. So make sure you give us a, a, an address. Too easy. Uh, which leads us nicely into our mailbag. And this week we have one from Aaron Gladke, who said, uh, hi, guys. Uh, recent convert to your podcast after being a brewing network listener for many years. I'm not in the industry, but a passionate craft beer drinker and home brewer. Loving beer as a conversation, apart from the really awkward Greg Cook interview. Uh, gritted well, teeth emoji. No, and the guest that, DJ, he says, just no, no, look, on. It, it, Hindo, it, it, please. I wear that. It's become a running joke. It, 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 and it's, it's, it's great because it absolutely was. To my point, I actually bid $150 for the bottle of Bourbon County Stout that Pete won. I literally pressed send just as his bid of 210 turned up. Well, it's actually 200 um, I might have put a bit of GST on that. Um, so here's my shameless attempt to get my hands on the bottle. Uh, keep up the good work and keep fighting the good fight. Cheers, Aaron. Thanks very much for that, Aaron. And yes, you are. Not only are you in the running, but it's fair to say that at the moment you are the clubhouse leader. You've got another week before we, uh, we cut off acceptances. Uh, but at the moment, Aaron... Enjoy. All right. Uh, guys, I think that's timing-wise. I think we've done pretty well. I'll just check with Jamie Cook. Yeah, I'm just getting a message through now. Not too bad, boys. Keep up the good work. All right. Excellent. Uh, he does say we can. Uh, there's still a little bit of room to trim. James, thanks very much. Uh, good to have you back. Thanks, guys. Um, apparently, I wasn't missed, but, um, yeah, good to be back. Matt, you're always missed. Hey, at least I gave you a shout-out. At least I let the listeners know when I introduced <laughs> myself, Matt, that you weren't to be there. Unlike, say, for example, the um, the Hottest 100 countdown where you guys just went ahead and, and, and didn't even note my uh, absence, <laughs> which is not a sore point at all, and I've got over it. Now, um, <laughs> here can, is a conversation. And we can tell. Here is a conversation this week. We've got, uh, as as Matt said, date canning uh, as well as some other issues with, uh, with Ian Watson, which is really well worth listening, and I encourage our listeners to pop back and, uh, and have a listen to that. Uh, plenty coming up in the next few weeks. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have a chat afterwards and work out whether who's who's here and whether we need to. Obviously, we need to get some uh, some guest presenters in. Hendo being seeming, seeming to be the um, the crowd favourite at the moment, um, but we can uh, we can work that out during the week. We, I'll take this opportunity on behalf of Matt and James and all of us here at Brews News to wish everyone a great Easter. Have a good break. Um, drink and drink responsibly and drive carefully and uh, come back safe and we'll see you all on the other side. Thanks, Matt, for joining us. Thanks, Prof. I just realised I hadn't, yeah, I, I hadn't thrown to you to, to say your, uh, your goodbye and your thank you. So, yeah, just ticking that box. And uh, we'll see you all next week. We're out.